Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. It's up, plant people. It's Tuesday again. That means it is time once more for the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives, careers, and general awesomeness of some very cool plant people. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host and your humble guide on this journey through the plant and the natural sciences. And I, as always, am so thrilled to be with you today. Okay, y'all. So it's no surprise that I find a lot of my guests on Twitter or on social media. And I usually find them because I see someone share something cool or I read a bio and I'm like, I have to talk to this person. Today's guest is one that as soon as I saw her bio, I absolutely knew I had to talk to for the show. Absolutely new. Do you have any concept of what it might be like to edit the encyclopedia? I, I'm just going to let that percolate. For, I had no idea. I had no idea. What does that mean? How do you how do you edit these encyclopedias? So when I read that my guest for today, Melissa Petrozello, is the associate editor for plant and environmental sciences for the Encyclopedia Britannica, I instantly knew that this is something I need to learn more about. I remember growing up as a kid, and we talked about this in the episode with like leather-bound tomes of the encyclopedia and the Encyclopedia Britannica for kids on my grandparents' bookshelf. And I would pull them out and I would look at them obsessively. I thought it was the coolest thing. Uh, just that, that all of this knowledge was in one place and then was born the internet. I'm not that old, but I remember pre-internet days or dial-up days. or We used to run computers off of these things called floppy disks. It was real weird. They were actually floppy. For you youngins, that is a save icon on your computer. Anyway, so... When I was started thinking about what goes into editing for the encyclopedia, the the arbiter of science knowledge and of natural history and of other history and everything else, I, I knew I had to talk to Melissa. So she graciously agreed to talk to me and I'm so glad I did. Melissa's great. We had so much fun talking or I can't, I guess, speak for her, but I learned a lot and I had so much fun talking with her. So Melissa has a bachelor's in biology and a master's in plant biology and conservation and is the host of Britannica's Botanize podcast, which you should absolutely be listening to. So uh, we talked about everything from the directions our lives take as we're trying to find a career to editing the encyclopedia. Y'all, I can't, I can't, I can't get over it. To, to do research in Zion National Park and what makes cacti special and the weird things that miracle fruit do to your tongue and to your brain. Y'all, I'm so excited for you to hear this. It was great. Uh, that's all. I, I'm too excited. I'm just going to jump into this. So y'all get ready for such a good episode, such an awesome guest and a wonderful conversation with Melissa Petrozello, the Associate Editor for Plant and Environmental Sciences for the Encyclopedia Britannica. Well, good morning, Melissa. Thanks so much for being with me today. How are you doing on this beautiful, what is it, Wednesday morning? I'm doing so good. So excited to be here with you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, no, I'm I'm thrilled to get to talk to you. We, you know, connected on Twitter a little while ago and 
I read your bio and it said editor for the encyclopedia. And I know that you don't edit the whole encyclopedia, but I was like, I I have to talk to this person about plants <laughs> and about what that is even like. That sounds like such a big task to me. Um, but I guess, I guess let's start off, if you don't mind, like telling us more about yourself, uh, um, you know, whatever you think is, is important. Where'd you go to school? You know, what'd you study? How'd you decide that you loved plants? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, my formal title is associate editor of plants and environmental science for Encyclopedia Britannica. And my formal education is I have a, a bachelor's in biology at, from Biola University, and then a master's in plant biology and conservation from Northwestern in uh, just north of Chicago. And um, I am one of those people who have always loved plants. I think in kindergarten, it's written down that I wanted to be a zoologist. And then I saw the light like shortly after that. And it's just been plants my whole <laughs> childhood. I just, I just love them. Um, growing up, my parents like let me have a plot of, for the garden in the yard. And I would save my allowance for seeds and um, I was actually homeschooled first through 12th grade, and that gave uh, me an opportunity to like go to garden lectures uh, as a kid with my mom and be like all old ladies and then my mom and me and uh, just to hear plant people speak. And we would go to zoos. I grew up in Southern California and there's the Los Angeles Zoo and the San Diego Zoo. And um, it really afforded us some kind of like behind the scenes looks at uh professionals working with plants and animals. And I think um, that kind of personalized education really did a lot to foster my curiosity and keep it alive. So um, yeah, lifelong plant lover. <laughs> That's cool. So uh, I'm one of these people and I'm curious if you are too. Uh, my wife is a animal person. Her, her degree is in uh, wildlife science. She <laughs> focused on like conservation and ecology. She works in a museum now. Like when we go to the zoo, she will find me like staring at a tree. Like I'll wander away and I'll be looking at plants. And she's always like, you know, we're at the zoo, right? I'm like, yeah, but this tree is awesome. So I, you know, maybe struggle with perspective when I go to non-plant places. Are, I mean, you know, you said you grew up going to zoos and stuff. Were you just as interested in the plants as the animals? Oh, oh yeah. I Like I would write essays about how the – you know, African enclosures were not with African plants and they should be, or, you know, like I was all about, <laughs> you know, this herbivore should be eating its plants from its continent or whatever. And I, I always took it from a plant perspective as, as often as I could, but yeah, totally look at plants when I'm, when I'm at the zoo, I was taking, we were just there with my little son and I was taking pictures of, of the flowers. <laughs> That's uh, I mean, yeah, no, I'm I'm that way everywhere we go. It's probably actually frustrating to like travel or go places with me because like I will make whoever I'm with pull over sometimes to like you know, on the road and like, oh, I'm gonna take a picture of this tree or this flower or whatever. Like, come on, like we gotta get where we're going. Um, but I think I think plant people are that way. I think we get um pretty excited about the world around us, and there's so much to see and and learn and do. It's it's hard not to sometimes. Right, for sure. <laughs> I totally do that with my husband. He he's patient and knows we got to pull over for that air plant I spied from the car. But uh, I'm sure it's annoying <laughs> to other people. 
So um, you did your master's in, you said, plant biology and conservation or Northwestern. What, what specifically did you study for your master's? Yeah, I studied, um, I actually did my research in Zion National Park in Utah. Um, I've always adored desert plants, and I got to study them for my master's. And I was studying a small um, flowering plant out there and looking at its pollination and who visits it and if it needs pollinators to set seeds. And basically that meant like sitting in the desert sun in the summer, um, watching bees and butterflies land and taking notes. And we had cameras set up and um, it was incredibly hot. We, we melted our thermometers like several times in the sand. <laughs> but uh, yeah, desert plants are hardy. Yeah, no, no, no. The concept of like a thermometer melting for some reason is like really alarming. <laughs> yeah, it was hot. <laughs> it was so hot. <laughs> Do not recommend field work in the summer in the desert. Wow. But, but that's so cool. What a cool place to, uh, you know, figuratively cool, uh, a place to get to do research. I mean, I, I imagine that like, aside from the heat and everything else, like, I don't know what an opportunity just to get to see such an amazing place. Yeah. It's incredibly beautiful. All the national parks in Utah and, and the non-national parks there as well are just mind blowingly beautiful. And to get to, study plants my favorite thing in you know just this gorgeous location was such a privilege and um it was it was wonderful you just look up and there's these amazing red cliffs all around you it was incredible that's awesome i've never been to zion i've I've seen lots of pictures and that's that's definitely on my list of places i would love to visit one day um and and how yeah how cool that you can do that while you're doing your research even if it is 400 degrees every day. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's, I, I just want to dive into real quick. I mean, I want to get into some of this other stuff, but you mentioned just the hardiness and the toughness of desert plants. Uh, so for, for those that don't know what, what is it about some of these desert plants that makes them so able to like survive in a place where even like thermometers melt? Yeah, well, that's why they're just, they are mind blowing. And it's they they have these adaptations that allow them to survive just massive amounts of UV radiation. I mean, I am kind of as as white as you can get. And I was burned to a crisp many times out there. And these plants live their whole lives, just taking it in and they have uh, mechanisms in their DNA to uh, repair and to cut out um, UV damage so they don't get plant cancer. Um, And then they have amazing adaptations to survive the lack of water as well. Um, Many of them produce leaves just after it rains to just try to make a a lot of food with photosynthesis really quick. And then they drop those leaves because they're a liability. Um, Leaves lose water. And you don't want to do that if you're a desert plant. Others have hairs on their leaves to kind of give an additional... um, layer of sun protection and, you know, dissipate that heat and, uh, deep, deep roots, really shallow roots. They have like every type of way to exploit the littlest traces of water, um, that they can find. And, uh, I just love them to death. <laughs> That's very cool. I'm, uh, as we record this, my students are about to take, uh, an exam tomorrow about photosynthesis and they're all very excited. 
they're they're not they're not excited at all. But I was like, I was talking about some of the unique metabolism and you know photosynthetic processes that we see in like cacti and succulents and. I I think I tend to I don't know how my students put up with me because I go off on tangents because I think this stuff is so exciting and I look up from whatever I was talking about and they're all just staring at me and I was like is this gonna be on the test I was like well yeah but you're missing the bigger picture here that <laughs> this is so cool photosynthesis is like one of my most favorite things the fact that something on this planet uses star power to make its food. It's just like, what? It's so amazing. Love it. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Um, okay, so let's, I guess, let's jump back to some of your uh, experience, your, you know, work experience and all that. You talked about school and just how you've always loved plants, but um, how did you get into the position you're in now as an associate editor uh, for, you know, the plants and environmental sciences in, in Britannica? Because I mean, I, what, what leads up to that? Have you had other jobs before this in the same field? Like how, I'm just so curious about like, when I think about jobs, that would not have been on my radar, but it sounds like the coolest job. It is the coolest job. It's like a dream job. Um, This is my first like full-time job out of school. Um, But I started working when I was 12 years old. I worked for a mega church that was near my house. They had like a large patio area with these really large planters. And my job was to keep them planted with flowers. I had like an unlimited budget. And so my little 12-year-old self would, my parents would take me Home Depot. I'd buy the flowers, plant them, water them, fertilize them, and just keep it looking nice. And I kept it looking nice. So my first, you know, my first job was a little gardening job. And then after that, I worked at a flower shop and I learned all about the floral industry and the plants and flowers that are useful in that. And then after that, there were more academic jobs. I taught um, high school and middle school science for homeschool students. Um, There's a a program through my alma mater that uh, reaches out to the homeschool community. And so I was a teacher, a science teacher through that. And then in grad school, I did, you know, exam proctoring and, you know, as a research assistant to my professors. Um, And after grad school... I had a long period of a really long job search. Um, I wanted to stay local because uh, my now husband was finishing his PhD and had more years, you know, to go. And there's only so many plant jobs in a city, you know. And so I was looking and looking and nothing was coming up and it was really discouraging. So I actually had a couple years as a nanny. Um, I thought, if I can't do plants, what do I like? And I was like, I like kids. And so I did nannying while I kept searching. And then one day on LinkedIn was a a posting that said science and technology editor for Encyclopedia Britannica. And I was like, well, I don't know technology very well, but I'm decent with science, so I'm going to apply to this. And um, once they got my application and liked me, they actually personalized the job to be a plant and environmental science editor. And it's just a lot of luck that I happened to be the right person at the right time and saw that. And it was one of the specialties they were looking for. And the rest is history. I've worked there eight years now and it's just been great. Wow. That's amazing. And, and I think that's a good, I, I, I like 
the story you tell a lot because, you know, a, a, a lot of our goal here is to talk to, you know, students, people wanting to get into plant science, really whatever, but just people, anyone who listens. And, and I think sometimes it's hard to see how, you know, one thing prepares us for the next and, you know, we kind of go through our lives. And so as a, you know, 12 year old, just learning about putting plants in and kind of developing that passion to everything else. But I think that we live in a society that doesn't know how to wait. And I I love the story that you're like, okay, I, I know I want to be in plants, you know, I want to be in this. And I, I like that you had the patience to, you know, do whatever you needed to do till something presented itself. I think that's actually a rare trait anymore. I think people, if they don't sometimes get what they're after right away, kind of give up. And I think that that's, Maybe not how that, you know, and I guess to each their own, but that's, that's such a cool thing to me. I think that's really, uh, admirable. Thank you. I, you know, it was, there was a lot of self doubt when I was nannying of, you know, I have this master's degree and this is what I'm doing. Like, is this, did I make the right choice going after this degree and stuff? But <laughs> it's just what I always loved. And, um, it ended up paying off. And I, I forgot to mention that I did two um, internships also at the Field Museum in Chicago, which is the big natural history museum. Um, wow. I was a science writer for them and then also uh, worked in their herbarium, which is a tropical herbarium, really world-class collection. And so those were additional plant and writing experiences that I could get under my belt while I wasn't doing, you know, what I wanted to be doing yet. But, um, <laughs> you know, if you follow your passions... And follow curiosity. I, I hope it pays off for a lot of people. It did. Uh, it did indeed for me. That's really cool. And it's sometimes only in retrospect that we retrospect that we can look back and say, "Oh no, this was an important piece of what I do now." It was, you know the the internship with with writing, the internship with you know um, the the museum and everything else. I, I I don't know that that resonates with me a lot. Because I can, I look back on my life now in in retrospect, and even the times when I was so getting out of my master's, I was in a similar kind of situation where my wife and I wanted to stay local. She was she had found a job she liked, and um, you know we have lots of family here, and we were like, well, we don't really want to leave. And so I uh, ran a landscape company for a couple of years because I was like, well, I know how to do that. I can go dig holes and move rocks and. Uh, then it kind of turned into the next thing. And I don't know. I just think that's a, a good message to send is that, you know, even if you don't get what you're after right away, like it may come in the future. Just keep pursuing your passion, like you said. Right. And the other thing I want to say is that, you know, I applied to that job that was broader than my interests, you know, and then it turned out to be a dream job. And I think that the other lesson is try things that you're you're not quite sure about because it might be something you're really good at. And <laughs> I am good at my job and it, it's been a good fit. That's awesome. So, so specifically speaking about that, what, what does that entail? What does, I mean, I feel like that is a big title, right? The, uh, uh, for, for this whole like section of, I don't know, this, it kind of blows my mind because I think of the encyclopedia as this I mean, and it is this giant, just wellspring of knowledge. And but it had never really occurred to me that there are probably huge teams of people that have to keep all that current and 
you know, relevant and accurate and all. So, so what does your job entail? Yeah. So as an editor, most of my job is editing. Um, I just work through our existing content and, um, bring it up to date. If it's out of date, I, um, add cross references to our other articles, um, work with our art departments who get new media into their new videos. Um, just make it look good. And a, a nice thing about being the, the plant editor is back when we were a print encyclopedia, plants often got just a little bit of space on the page, unless it was like a big plant, like right. wheat or corn or something. Um, but in an online digital format, there is unlimited space. So I can expand a lot of our articles and just um, add more information about each and every one because they all are worth more than a couple sentences, you know. And so I do a lot of just editing. I also write new articles. Um, we have just, I mean, knowledge is infinite. There's always something new to write about. And um, I also work with experts. If there's something um, outside of my comfort zone or a really important um, topic that needs an overhaul or just something we don't have, um, I work with a lot of academics, but not only academics, um, to get them to write that article for us. And that's a, that's a fun part of my job as well to, you know, invite somebody. Do you want to be, you know, have your name in, in our encyclopedia and, um, have organic farming that way and, um, organic food, a whole bunch of like important topics that, uh, really benefit from an expert's perspective beyond my own. Um, and then we do a lot of fun things too. I write, crosswords for Britannica quizzes, little like pop science listicles, um, just a bunch of r random fun things. And then recently I, I was doing a, a botanical podcast for them as well. That's so cool. So, you know, you mentioned this transition from a, you know, print publication. Uh, and I remember growing up, we had volumes of the encyclopedia on a shelf. And I think probably at my uh, grandma's house, they're probably there still somewhere on a shelf <laughs> of, you know, these, these very old, like leather bound uh, tomes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. How does that uh, process work? I mean, this is obviously a, a historic, very, very old organization or, or publication uh, is it updated on a reg like I guess now it's sort of a an ongoing process and probably uh, content is you know constantly generated and constantly updated like you were talking about but is there like a yearly volume that comes out or or I, I'm just curious as how the whole process works now in this transition from you know big leather bound books to an online resource. Yeah, um, it has been a, a learning process for the company. Um, as you mentioned, Britannica is really old. It was founded in 1768, so it is older than the United States. Um, and so we do have like just a massive amount of content. Some of that was renewed over all the print editions and updated. Some of it got, you know, didn't make the cut for the next edition. Um, but we discontinued uh, printing encyclopedias. Um, I believe that was announced that we were done printing in uh, 2012. So it hasn't been that long. We've been exclusively mm. a, a digital um, product, but uh, we do. Yeah. Now it's just constant, constant upkeep and um, adding to the encyclopedia. There's not uh, an annual release or anything. It's just kind of a constant stream okay. of 
um, keeping our content trustworthy and uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. Well, and I, I think that, you know, you, you mentioned that it is trustworthy. I think that, you know, as I'm looking for information, either for a lecture or for podcast or whatever, I think I inevitably come across something from the encyclopedia in my, in my searches, you know, it's in a lot of ways far more approachable than, you know, most peer reviewed stuff that's out there. Uh, but y'all do, do go through like a, a hefty editing process and everything is curated and all that. But like, I would feel if I was just talking to a non-academic way better about sending them to, Hey, go look this up on the encyclopedia Botanica website rather than, you know, big academic journal a b or c because the the language is more approachable but the fact that the the uh, information is trustworthy is really still such a cool thing after you know what 300 years <laughs> almost uh 253 i do believe um but yeah i'm glad to hear you say that touches touches all our hearts whenever we hear of actual people using <laughs> our product. Um, yeah, you know, part of our job, especially in the science uh, science team at Britannica, is to take those scientific publications and distill them down for um, a curious but not necessarily a specialist reader who um, is interested in, in that topic. And so, you know, we do read those and we pick out the pieces and um, we do have a very thorough and meticulous uh, editorial process to make sure that what we're saying is accurate and up to date. And um, I'm actually the only person on the science team that doesn't have a doctorate. Um, so we are, we are experts there and um, it's a really great, uh, professional and intellectual place to work. It's, it's an honor to be part of that team. That's so cool. So cool. Hey, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the botanized podcast, more about the encyclopedia. And I just want to get your thoughts on some other cool plant things and maybe what your favorite plant is and maybe some of your favorite factoids that you've learned over the years. So we'll be right back. Well, hey there. Welcome to the mid-roll. Fancy meeting you here again. It's good to have you. Pull up a chair. Stay a while. How's it going? How's your day? How's your mom? How's your dad? Everyone okay? Good. Glad to hear it. So if you would like to connect with Planthropology and have me ask more weird questions at you, you should do so. First, make sure you're subscribed to the show. And if this is your first time listening, I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, it's good to have you with us. It's great. I'm I'm loving making the show and I'm loving having you. Go ahead and hit subscribe wherever you're listening and never miss an episode. Also, if you'd like to connect on social media, Play Anthropology is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for Play Anthropology, which is anthropology with a PL slapped on the front. Look for the bristlecone pine tree with the green background and that'll be me. The handles change because I was late to the game on some of them. But the great tree content and great plant plantiness is the same no matter where you go. Also, I'm on the TikTok machine as at the plant prof. So if you want to connect there and see some more nonsense, be sure to do that. If you'd like to support the show, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash plantropology. And if you'd like to make a no strings attached donation, which will probably literally buy me coffee, uh, I would appreciate it. But no pressure on that. It's really fine because... I get to work for such a great department as the plant and soil science department at Texas Tech University, who 
makes all this possible from paying for hosting to uh, making sure I have all the equipment I need to just being supportive of the show. The Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science is one of the very best places to learn about plants and soil and science in these here United States. And you should check it out at pssc.ttu.edu. And if you're looking for a place to study, we have on-campus, face-to-face, and distance education programs. Whether you are trying to get a bachelor's degree or a master's degree, we have something for you here at the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science. And you know what? There's a chance I'd be your advisor. And that would be pretty cool, right? I think it'd be cool. Anyway, uh, I have a promo for you today for the Podfix Football Federation podcast as part of Podfix Presents. It is almost the end of the season or the season starting to wrap up. And if you haven't been listening to the show, it's a lot of fun. Keith um, from the Pop-Up Filmcast podcast does such a good job of putting the show together every week with highlights and news and jokes. Oh, so many jokes. And am I plugging this? Just because I currently happen to be winning? Yes. Yes, I am. So get ready for a promo for the Podfix Football Federation podcast as part of Podfix Presents in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. All new to the Podfix Network, it's the Podfix Football Federation. Catch all the edge of your seat football action is fantasized about amongst eight shows on our network. Each week, we'll look back at the results, talk to the teams, and prophesize the future like the all-knowing mediums we are. Follow along and root for your favorite squad by subscribing to Podfix Presents, the only place to listen to and then yell at your listening device about how we were wrong, even though you know we can't hear you. The Podfix Football Federation Weekly. It's a home run. You mentioned, and, and I've been listening to it a lot recently, actually, the, uh, I believe, what, 14-part botanize uh, 14, 15 part botanized podcast. Uh, how, how did that come about? Was that something that you just wanted to do and pitched to Britannica or was that something that they were, you were, was asked of you? Uh, I'm always curious about how products like this, since it's the space I kind of live in, uh, come to fruition because I think our, you know, quote unquote origin stories sometimes are, uh, kind of different. Yeah. Um, no, I didn't think to to pitch it to Britannica. Uh, actually, one of my uh, coworkers, he does another podcast for Britannica called Postcards from the Sixth Mass Extinction. And his is a very uplifting topic about the uh, <laughs> bio- <laughs> biodiversity loss on our planet. Um, but uh, Britannica loved what he was doing and wanted us to have more podcasts. So they approached me and said, would you like to do something. And, um, so then I did get to propose it as uh, a botanical. I also touch on algae and fungi in the podcast, Mm -hmm. but just kind of these, these overlooked organisms. Um, and it, it was a really fun endeavor. I don't have much experience, uh, as a storyteller and it was really fun to explore, um, those skills and improve them and, uh, get experienced with interviews. Uh, it was really fun. That's cool. So I, I was listening this morning to the um, part two of your plant chemistry uh, series, not series, but yeah, the, the part two of your plant chemistry podcast. And uh, I don't know there. I like the way it's presented a lot. I think the you know, so you don't have you said you don't have much experience as a storyteller, but I think the storytelling is great. And I think you tell a great um 
tale about how all of these different things relate to, you know, culture and society and uh, different rituals and indigenous knowledge. And I like that you put in there, like, if you don't know what you're doing, probably don't eat the thing. I think that's probably, that's pretty important. Talk right. about like Jimson <laughs> weed and different stuff. Yeah, I think there's just, um, you know, a big part of my job is to try to make plants interesting to people and to try to think of, you know, people don't love plants and I don't know why, but I'm just brimming with cool information about them. And to to get to share that through a podcast was really fun. Um, that also comes through in, you know, in the articles that I curate and manage. Um, and then, of course, in like the fun lists and quizzes and stuff. But um, there's just like a never ending way to look at plants. You can look at them scientifically and you can look at them um, you know, from an anthropological perspective and ethnobotany and um, how they affect the human body. And I think um, those plant chemistry episodes were really fun and it was really hard to narrow it down because uh, plants are brimming with chemicals and they all do amazing things, whether they affect human bodies or not. But uh, it was just an unlimited topic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that, that is interesting. And I think that we talk a lot about, I, you know, I don't know how to exactly say it, but uh, this is a conversation I had with my students at one point, And we were talking about say the health benefits of a certain plant, right? You know, Oh, we get antioxidants for, from X, Y, and Z or whatever. And I think we always think about it and, and it makes sense from an anthro, you know, centric and I don't know what the right word is for that uh, human centric uh, framework of oh this plant is healthy for me and I'm like no that plant's doing its thing right it's it's got its own whole suite of reasons it has these chemicals we just happen to be able to benefit from those things and uh, no so it, it's cool when we get to start talking about some of these biological processes and all that so was was botanized sort of a, a limited release series or is that something you're going to continue in the future so we had planned it, we called it seasons internally. I, I did two seasons of botanize uh, for Britannica and it's on hiatus right now and its future's a little bit uncertain. Uh, it, it very well might be resurrected uh, in the next um, fiscal year, uh, but right now mm -hmm. our uh, editorial priorities have shifted a bit to other projects. Um, but it it was, it was really fun and I do think it fits nicely with... Um, Britannica's mission and as a way to also get brand awareness for us because younger people love podcasts and uh, a lot of younger people are not still familiar with Encyclopedia Britannica as, a, as digital users. Um, so it was it was a fun way to, to get our name out there in a, in a new format. That's cool. So is that I, I one of the next questions I had was like where as such an old publication you know, we've talked about, you know, different avenues that Britannica is pursuing to, uh, like you say, get into people's minds again, get back into the uh, sort of public lexicon of uh, a data source, an information source. Are there other projects you can talk about? Are there other cool things coming up? I know that sometimes we can't necessarily spill the beans on everything that's that's coming up, but are there like different directions that Britannic is looking at going to sort of expand on some of that? Um, yeah, I think our latest front is um, focusing on, on children. Uh, we released, actually we did release a print 
book last year, a children's encyclopedia. Um, there's a couple spreads in there that I edited. Uh, it's a beautiful visual book. Um, I would have loved it as a kid. It's just like, just full of images and cool facts. And it just kind of goes through everything as an encyclopedia should. Um, but a a wonderful creation that we've made as a, as a physical book for kids. I know we're working on another physical book aimed at children um, that is a like a, another curiosity book. And um, I think that's being released this year. I should know that date, but I don't. Um, <laughs> and then we've uh, been doing some podcasts aimed at kids as well, and those were really successful. It was like a game show um, with kids. And, um, and then like more on an editorial, less product side, um, you know, a lot of our job is just to, to do search engine optimization and try to think of like, what are people Mm. searching for that's going to bring our articles, uh, to the first page of a Google, you know, a Google search. And, um, a lot of my job is thinking, you know, why would somebody come to Britannica for this? plant or this renewable energy? Like, what do they want to know? And to make sure that that's included in the article. And um, a lot of our users are students. So we have, you know, an academic perspective. And then a lot of people are just curious users. They just want to look up something they saw on a show or, you know, something they've been hearing about, a superfood or whatever. And, um, you know, we just try to like, internalize like what what are they looking for and how can we provide that um with our content that's uh yeah and that's a a big job for sure and i guess that's the challenge of education in general is how do we how do we keep the information we give relevant and how do we make sure that people actually consume it i think we struggle with that from the classroom to the to the podcast and everything else um okay so i've got a couple of more kind of specific questions about uh, you know, your experience and your life as a plant person. Do you have a favorite plant? I do. It is always hard to narrow it down, but I would say that my favorite plant are the giant sequoias in California. I'm from California and I grew up not too far from those magnificent organisms. They are the most massive organisms on the planet. And they're kind of the uh, organismal equivalent to stars. You know, you, you look up at these things and you just feel small and you feel young and you feel, you know, the humble position you occupy in your brief span of hopefully 80 plus years. And, um, Mm -hmm. you, you know, that's from a plant, a plant grew that big using star power and it's just there putting us in our place. And I think they're absolutely beautiful. And, uh, just really have a lot to teach you. So those are probably my favorite. Okay. That, that's a good choice. I think they're amazing. <laughs> um, okay. Also, at, in your role as, uh, you know, associate editor and reading through probably incredible amounts of information and doing your own research and writing your own articles, what is the most interesting plant thing you've learned? That's maybe a tough question, but do you have one that like when you, when you read it or whatever, or even if there's a couple, like what jumped out as you as just, this is amazing and mind blowing. Well, I, ha- I, you know, my job is just continually learning things every day. And that's part of the reason I love it so much. 
So, you know, eight years of learning things every day is like a lot to reflect on at this moment. <laughs> but I would say one that I remember was I was writing a new article for Britannica on miracle fruit. And I talk about miracle fruit in part one of the chemicals uh, podcast. But miracle fruit, um, I don't know if you know, but it you eat it and it alters your perception of taste and sour things become sweet. And as I was writing this article, I'm like, what? Like sour things become sweet. And I just kept writing it. I was like, I have to, I have to try this like right now. I can't write this without trying this. And so I, I had some tablets shipped to me and they are amazing. It feels like, you know, it feels like you're hallucinating, but it's literally just your tongue. It's not your brain. <laughs> um, but you can lick a lemon and it's this sweet, delicious flavor. You can drink, you know, lemonade. You can put lemon in your coffee and then it's like a sweetener. And that just blew my mind that this chemical exists in this plant and it changes your tongue. Like that is a very unexpected uh, feature <laughs> that a botanical chemical would do to a human body. So uh, that one st stands out as a mind blower. Huh. That's, I, I did not know about that. That's so fascinating. I'm, <laughs> Now my wheels are kind of spinning. I'm like, okay, what is the, and you may or may not know this specifically, but do you know what the like reason for that is? Like for, in terms of like the plant, is there, I, I mean, I, I imagine it's probably just a weird byproduct, right? It's kind of a fluke thing that someone ate it and was like, oh, that's weird. And then, you know, started marketing it or whatever. But is there, as far as you know, like a biological reason that happens? Uh, the chemicals name is Miraculin, uh, and I don't know what I don't know what it does for the plant, but um, it really should be utilized as a as a non caloric sweetener because it makes things sweet and it's just really amazing. So, um, yeah, that is so fascinating, and I feel like that's well named too. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I try to tell people that sometimes that when scientists come up for the names for things like we're not always the most clever, like it's miraculous. <laughs> I'm going to call it Miraculin right. and uh, taxonomists are the same way. And I think that's, I, that always makes me laugh a little bit. I was like, well, it's a little on the nose, but I like it. Right. Yeah. No, it's perfect for that fruit. Cause it's, it's really bizarre. That is so crazy to think about. Okay. I see now I feel like I've got to order some and, Give that a try. That's pretty cool. Everyone should. It's not very expensive. You can get them on Amazon or whatever. And you should try it. It's a fun. Uh, do it for your class. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. Oh, we should do that in our. Like, so we teach. Uh, I, I kind of oversee our big intro horticulture program, and we teach a bunch of labs. That would be a really fun uh, lab exercise uh, at for some sure. point. I'm, I'm going to have to work that in. That's that's a cool idea. <laughs> I definitely at least want to do it with my my son. I've got a five-year-old son, and I bet that will just blow his mind. Oh, yeah, definitely. Do it. <laughs> um, so one of, the, one of the last questions I always ask all my guests, uh, and I, and I ne try to never prepare anyone for it because it's more fun that way. Um, if you had to leave our listeners with a piece of advice, it can be life advice or plant advice or really whatever speaks to you this morning. Uh, what would that be? What would you want the one big take home to be? Um, 
We did touch on this very much, but um, as I said, I was homeschooled first through 12th grade, and I was actually also a first-generation college student. And Hmm. so I would say if your listeners are in a position to mentor somebody from, you know, a first-generation student or somebody from like kind of a non-standard background, um, I am where I am today because the botany professor and the ecology professor at my small liberal arts universities um, helped me understand how a university works and what grad school even was. And I, um, I owe my career success to them having the patience and the wisdom to know that uh, this person has like no idea how anything works coming from a homeschooling first gen background. And um, so, so yeah, I think uh, just remember the importance of mentoring others. And um, I had a lot of enthusiasm and I still do, uh, but that got to be something fruitful because uh, people helped me out and helped give me direction and uh, insight into what I could do with my enthusiasm. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's really important for sure. Um, Melissa, that was a lot of fun. I, I, I am still thinking about miracle fruits. That's just fascinating to me. Um, (laughs) But where all, where all can we find you? Um, What are, uh, go ahead and plug your stuff. Oh yeah. Well, um, I am on uh, Britannica.com. <laughs> My articles are there and all, all the rest of our wonderful content. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Melissa Petru. Uh, I don't make people spell out my full last name. So Petru, <laughs> P-E-R-T-U. Uh, and then, um, you know, Spotify and Apple Store and stuff, you can find Botanize as well as um, Britannica's other podcasts. You know, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, you will find us there. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, is there anything that, uh, you know, you had in mind that we didn't cover any, any last words before we kind of sign off? No, I mean, I think Britannica's, uh, kind of our motto is that facts matter and, you know, that curiosity is important and, uh, just for listeners to especially remember to stay curious about plants and the things around them. It, it can really take you far. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much again. I really enjoyed that. It was fun getting to meet you and chat with you. And uh, I am excited to, uh, I guess, I, I, I don't know, see where science goes, see where the see where the encyclopedia goes. That's such a weird sentence. But um, again, I really, I really appreciate your time and your insight and, and everything. It was great. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Y'all, thanks so much for listening and thanks so much for being with us today. I hope that you will always stay curious. And if you haven't thought about the encyclopedia for a while, you know what? Go check out Melissa's work in the plants and environmental sciences section and just support the great body of knowledge that is Encyclopedia Britannica. Thanks so much again for listening, uh, just being a part of everything that we do here at Planthropology. It would not be possible without you. Thanks again to Uh, the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for all the support. And thanks to all my great podcast friends out there, from the folks at the Podfix Network to just this network of shows that I get to hang out with and talk to on Twitter and otherwise. Y'all are honestly just the best people I know. You're great. 
you're great. So look at all the great shows on the Podfix Network. If you want to troll around on Twitter a little bit and look at all of the podcasts that sort of share each other's stuff and hang out in this science and nature space, you should definitely do that. But you know I love you folks. You know that I think you're the best. Um, We have a good one next week too. I don't want to ruin the surprise too much, but it is uh, an episode with a, a crowd favorite and one of my very favorites. We're going to spill the tea about tea. So y'all have a good week. Uh, keep being cool plant people. Keep being nice to each other. If you haven't been nice to each other, start being nice to each other. And I will talk to you very, very soon. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.